Visitors, welcome, 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 welcome. As Josh has said and others have said, a slightly different service today. But you know what? I love the fact that you are here and you see this service today. Why? Because you see the heart of this church. The heart of this church is to see young and old worshiping, changed, transformed, and to see God's power touch their lives. Yes, we may be more casual today, and the praise and worship may have been a little bit different. But you know what? You've seen today what Heartsease Family Life Church is all about. It's about touching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't want to water it down. Why? Because a watered-down gospel is going to produce diluted results. We want it to be so pure. We want it to be so powerful that it's going to change each one of us. Amen? Are you happy today? I've got a word that I want to preach to you today. We began this series actually two weeks ago. We talked about the fight or the war against our independence. It was July the 4th service, Independence Day. And we talked about the fight that we find ourselves in, not just as a nation with terrorism, but we brought it down a little bit closer as we're looking at the fight that we have for our faith. That our faith, our belief, what we are, what we stand for, what we have the opportunity to be in Christ is greatly under attack. We dealt with the war, though, that's not just against our faith, but how it attacks us individually. And we talked about what our position needs to be and what we need to do during these times. What we talked was, we need to get alone with God again. I said, we need to get alone with God again. God says to the prophet Ezekiel, he says, come on, get out of the city, get out of all those things, come to a place where I've prepared, come and meet me. We've got to get alone with God again. And one thing we found out is that when we make that step to get alone with God, we see that God will be waiting there to touch us and to change us. Satan could not stop the cross. I said Satan could not stop the cross, our redemption. But now his tactics today are to destroy the message of the cross. And how does he do that? By destroying us, the messenger the messenger of the gospel, the messenger of the good news. He tries by destroying our testimonies, our witness, our stands, our lives, our families. And we all know that the main weapon that Satan uses today is the weapon of deception. Deceiving people. I'm not going to go into great detail today as I've got other ground that I want to cover. But I want us to realise something else again today from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. It says these words. Let no one deceive you by any 
means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Let me read those words again if I would, if I could from 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3. It says this, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. What day are you talking about, Pastor Philip? Monday or Friday? No, the day we're talking about is when the trump of God sounds and the Bible says time will be no more and we who are alive in Christ will be caught up into the air to be with Him in heaven. That's the day that I'm talking about. And those that don't know Christ will be separated to a lost eternity. Let no one deceive you for any means, for that day will not come. Notice what it says. Unless the falling away comes first. Falling away is symbolic of people literally falling away, moving away, or better said, departing from the truth. We are at a time right now where you've got to even watch what church you go to. You've got to watch what you're listening to on Christian TV, on Christian radio, whose CDs you're buying, whose books you're buying. Why? Because we've got so much man's opinion out there today that we've forgotten the truth and the absolute truth, the Word of God. And the Bible says that there's going to be a deception that's going to come, a falling away. The New Living Translation talks about it as this, a great rebellion against God. There's many means of deception out there. But I believe as children of God, we don't have to fall for it. Why? Because we've got the truth. And God's Holy Spirit wants to live inside of us that will just prick our hearts when we hear or we see things that are not right. That God's Spirit will lead us and guide us. One thing I've discovered is this. If I live close to the edge, guess what happens? There's a risk that I could all over. We're living in a time where it seems so many people are living so close to the edge. There's a war that's raging against our faith and everything, but yet we're just flirting with everything else instead of living sure. Instead of getting away from the edge and saying, you know what? I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to fall. I don't want to fail. I want to make it through life. And God's Word gives me hope today that I can make it. I want to live safe. And when I say live safe, I'm not talking about that I don't do anything for God. Because how many knows living a life of faith is a scary life to live? Come on, are you there today? Come on, I was the one that was up or didn't get home till three this morning. Come on, and was up at seven. It sounds like you're all half asleep. Are you there? Say amen with me. Living a life of faith. It's a great life. It's an exciting life. But what I'm talking about living safe is I don't want to flirt so much that I run the risk of falling in. I've kind of coined this phrase and I've used it many times, but you can't live like hell and expect the blessings of heaven. It doesn't happen like that. God can't do that. Why? Because He's a righteous judge. And He has to judge us for the merits of our lives. The next thought, though, that I want to really give to you today is this. 
And it goes so perfectly after youth camp. We've talked to all these young men and women, incredible young men and women. We had such a great time with them. We've talked to them, we've, we've preached to them, we've shared with them, we've prayed with them, we've cried with them, we've beat them. No, I'm only joking, we didn't do that. But you know what, now it's your turn as parents. Now it's your turn as adults. Here's what I want to talk about today, and that is the war that's against our families. The struggle that's out to destroy our homes and everything that we have. The decisions you see we make today, we must realise indirectly or even directly, will affect our future generations. They affect our families. I said they affect our families. The decisions and the choices we make today. You see, the deception has not only come against the church. Yes, it's come against us also personally. But when it involves us, it also involves our families. There's such an attack today against what I call the family unit. You remember what it was like? Showing my age now, I turn 38 next month. I cannot believe that. Almost 40, it's ridiculous. I'm going to have to start going backwards now instead of forwards. But I remember what it was like to have a family unit in our home. I remember what it was like to sit down and have a good supper together. I remember what it was like not to be distracted by the TV and by the internet and by cell phones and all these other distractions. I remember what it was as a family that we prayed together. I remember what it was to do all these things. I remember we went on vacation together. We enjoyed each other's company. Today the family unit is being destroyed. The family unit Our homes are under attack. If you turn on the TV, there's a lot of sitcoms, there's a lot of shows, and really now it's sad, but look at the main shows that are impacting so many people's lives today are called the reality shows. And when you watch those kind of shows, I think, man, if that's the reality of the world that we live in, then I have to agree with Drew and these guys, God's coming back a lot sooner than we perhaps realise. Because if that's reality, I guess I'm living in space or something. But it doesn't take us long as we watch these reality shows, these sitcoms, and even as you would watch them on Disney Channel or Nickelodeon, as you look of the image that they portray of family. It's not a perfect picture. It's not really a family at all. Look at the parents. They're clueless. It's almost like they're non-existent. The kids just disrespect them. It's almost like they're just an article or a piece of furniture in the home that the kids just skip over. They, they dis- disrespect. They talk against. They, they think that they're crazy. This is the things that are pumping into our children's heads hours after hours. Oh, there's humour mixed in with it. There's jokes. There's fun to make it appealing, to make it light. But really, what is it doing? It's it's depicting and displaying children who are rebellious, who are disrespectful, and many times they're out of control. That's what's being communicated to our families. 
That's what's been subconsciously put into their minds like this is how. How many times, parents, have you heard your child say something? You say, where did you get that from? And they know exactly the show. And the episode even where they got that from. It may be just a cute little saying, but you know what? There's been some sayings that have been said in our house that weren't too cute. And they had to be driven out. Come on now. And had to be told, we don't talk like that in this family. Oh, but it was on Disney Channel. It was just this kid or that kid. It's amazing the idols these kids look up to. Justin Bieber and all these kids. Great little guy. Till he met someone who ruined his life. But you know what? These kids look up to him and you go on YouTube and you watch videos and his... How old is he? 15? Just turned... But you know what happens? You see videos of him cursing. You see things like that. And all of a sudden kids think, well, he's cool. I'm just going to be like that. They see all these images and they see all these things that's been communicated. Listen, parents. Listen, adults. I'm talking to you today. We've got to make a change. Because there's a fight. There's a war that's raging to steal our families, to take our future from us. Look at this scripture, if you would, in Joshua chapter 24. It's a very famous scripture. It's a very famous passage. I've read these verses probably countless times. But you know what? We need to read them again. May repetition never lose its power, but may it gain weight as we realize that repetition is the greatest form and way that we can learn. Joshua 24, verse 14 and 15 says these words. Joshua's about to die. He's given his final address to the children of Israel. He was the leader. He led them into the promised land. He was God's chosen to take over from Moses. And these are his dying words that he leaves. He says these words in verse 14. Therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served or which were deceived into serving on the other side of the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Verse 15, he says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, remember the river was the boundary from the promise. He's talking about those things that were outside of the promise. You know what's outside of the promise? Things that you don't need to have in your life. Come on, those things that are outside of our salvation, outside of the best that God has. On the other side of the river, he says, do you remember before you stepped into the promise? He said, so what are you going to serve? Those gods are the gods of the Amorite in whose land you now dwell. But he says this statement, as for me and my house. You know what? I can't change the world, but I can change my world. Come on, I can't change the world. We're doing a job and we're trying really hard to change one soul at a time. But I can't solve every problem in this world by just clicking my fingers. But I've made it my goal to change the world that I have, the people that I have around me, my children, my home, that which I have responsibility and control over. I am going to lead them in the way of God. But as for me and my house, my family, say with me, my family, we will serve the Lord. It's not a Lord with a small L, meaning one of many. 
It's not a God with a small g, meaning numerous. It's we're serving the Lord, capital L, the one and only, the life giver, the creator, the incredible God. And just those two verses that we read there, the word served is used seven times. Seven times. And as you look at that word, or if you were to study that word deeper, you would realise that word does not symbolise or speak of just a casual service. That you just kind of serve the Lord, that you just kind of come and go as you please, that you just kind of tip God, that you just kind of, you know, kind of just love Him just a little bit, but not too much because you don't want to be crazy and you don't want people to think you're weird. So you just kind of do enough that you can play both sides. It's a word that means, and if you're taking notes, you need to take notes in, in church. It's a word that means to give allegiance exclusively to God. When he says to serve, he's not just saying, as I said, just casually. He's saying, hey, exclusive rights only to God. That when you're doing these things, it's only for God. He's the only one that we need to be serving. He's the only one that we need to be living for. And what does he say? Choose for yourselves. Either he exclusively is your God or he exclusively is not your God. But really when Joshua was saying to them, choose for yourselves, Joshua himself didn't believe that there were two options to choose from. He wasn't saying, well, you can take... In Joshua's mind, he knew from God's perspective. And that was this. Yes, there's a choice because he's a loving God. People think that God's not loving because people have to come... Listen, God is a loving God because he gave us choice. The ability to choose right and wrong. People say he's not a loving God because he gives us choice. But how many more would say he's not loving if he forced us to do something? So Joshua really is not saying it's A or B, choice A or B. He's really saying there's only one choice. Come on, I'm telling you today, there's only one choice. And that's to serve God and live. To serve God and live. But what he's doing is this. He's challenging the people. He's calling the people to an act or a place. And he's saying this, you're either going to be loyal to God or you're going to be disloyal. And live in disloyalty. But what did Joshua do? He said, as for me. What did Joshua do? He led by example. Parents, you need to start leading by example. I hate that saying that says, don't do as I say. What is it saying? Do as I say, but not as I do. I hate that saying. Because it's not enough just to do as I say. It better be what? Actions that are backed up by words, not words that hopefully find some actions. As parents, we don't just need to correct our kids and say, don't do that, but yet we're doing the same things ourselves. Come on now, I'm preaching in a house. We've got to lead by example. Joshua said, this is my stand. I don't care what you're all choosing. I pray that you make the same stand as me. But he says, let it be known. This is what I'm going to do. I'm here to tell you today, my stand And I'm going to stand. And that is this. The enemy is not going to steal my family. 
Come on, our stand as a church is this. Enough is enough, devil. You've messed with our families. You've messed with our marriages. You've messed with our finances. You've messed with our kids. You've messed with our homes long enough. And we're making a stand and saying what? We're giving allegiance exclusively to God in this house. It's not fluff. It's not all these things. A lot of cotton candy Christianity. You know what cotton candy Christianity is? Get down to it. There's nothing much there but just a whole lot of fluff. Put a whole big bag of cotton candy in your mouth and it reduces down just a little sugary syrup. We like the fluff. We like the image. We like the look. But what's our stand? The enemy's not going to steal our families. Come on. The enemy's not going to take our children. God gave me a promise about three or four years ago. I'm going to keep the children. Can I tell you that I've had to visit that promise many times? I've had to be reminded many times. Why? Because we live in scary times. Can I give you a statistic that absolutely blew me away? I read this two weeks ago. You know, in America, this great nation that we live in, they tell us that one in three girls are going to be sexually abused. One in four boys in this nation. I don't know about you, that breaks my heart. I've got young girls. I've got four girls. That breaks my heart. But you know what? My family are not standing on statistics. My family's standing on the Word of God. Come on, my family's standing on the Word of God. As for me and my house, we're not going to see that. We're going to pray and believe that the blood of Jesus is going to protect and watch over. But listen, parents, these are scary days. So what do we do? We've got to start standing. Come on, I said we've got to start standing. We need some parents that will stand up and break the cycle. We need some parents that's going to say enough is enough. My kids are not going to go the way. My parents are maybe alcoholics and all these things. But I believe because of the cross, because of my redemption, that that curse is broken and sin no longer has dominion over my home. Really today we're in a pivotal position. I believe the decisions that we need to make as parents, adults, And yes, young people, listen to me too. It's still just as important for you. But the decisions that need to be made today are what I call a hinge. You can't open a door without a hinge. A hinge is what a door hangs on and it enables it to open whichever way it's designed to do. The decision and the choice that we need to make today is, yes, we've realised there's deception, we've realised there's a war against our families, but yet there's a decision to stand that will be a hinge that will swing our families and our homes wide open for the blessings of God. But listen to me, if we choose wrong, that hinge also slams shut the door for our homes These kids are incredible. This is not our future. This is the right now. I was sharing with one of the parents this morning and I had him in my office and I talked about their son being at the front and I began to weep and cry because it touches me so much. During the praise and worship one night, Kevin's just up there and he's playing that guitar solo and he's not just doing that. 
He starts going off and he's going crazy. And I'm standing at the sand booth, running the sand, weeping and crying because I know that he could be playing in the world. But he's on a platform leading young men and women to praise God. Parents, the hinge. Oh, but it's only a decision that's only affected me is going to affect your children. It's going to affect your children. It's going to affect your children. 1 Kings 18, verse 20 and 21. Ahab sent for all the children of Israel, it says, and he gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. There was a showdown. God's children had served false gods and God raised up different judges and different leaders and different prophets and different people. But it seemed like no matter who came, they still went wrong. God brought them back. They went wrong. God brought them back. And this is one of those times that there's all these false prophets. There's a false religion. And one man stands against them. The standoff is, what is truth? What is right? Who is the one true God? Who should we serve? That was what the fight or the standoff was about that day. In verse 21, we read of one man who stood up with something to say. And Elijah came to all the people and he said, you know, I think so often we read the Bible stories and we forget really how it must have been. He's standing before the wickedest king that ever ruled, King Ahab. He's standing before 850, I believe it was, prophets, because there were 400 prophets of Baal and I think 450 prophets of Asher or something like that. So he stands before 851 powerful people. Never to mind all the king's personal bodyguard. All the hardened people. Multitudes of people. And here he is standing in the middle of them. And he says, hold on a second. I've got something to say. You haven't got anything to say unless you speak God's word. He said, I've got something to say. He said, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, if he's the one, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. You've got to understand this. This was not a time for people to be speechless. This isn't a time for us to remain silent today. Oh, we can feel intimidated because what is one against so many? But one thing I've realized is this. One with God is a majority, not a minority. But you see what's happening is we're choosing to remain speechless. We're choosing to be silenced 
There was a response that was required, or even better said, I believe, there was a response that was demanded at that time, but the people said nothing. I realise today that there's going to be people here that's going to leave after hearing this message and you're going to be silent. You're not going to respond. You're not going to heed. You're not going to follow. You're not going to say, yes, there's a war and I'm going to stand. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to leave my family. There's going to be people, unfortunately, today that's going to say, I'm going to remain silent. I plead with you, don't let it be you. Your children are depending upon your response. You may say, well, I don't have children. Well, I bet you plan to in the future. And if you don't have them, you may be old and you're past all that. You know what? You've got grandkids. And if you haven't got grandkids, you've got a whole bunch of kids right here that need you to lead them and steer them right. As I read the story, I've got to be honest with you. The fact that they followed foreign gods and method and means, it disturbs me. But you know what disturbs me more? And that is this, that they would not make a choice. That really bothers me. Yes, I'm upset that foreign gods have come in and that they're serving others, but the thing that disturbs me the most is, here's God's people that knew Him, that won't make a choice. Something that really bothers me is when you hang around with certain people and they can't make a decision. Have you ever been around that? Where do you want to go and eat? I don't care. And then they say something, no, I don't want to go there. Oh, so you do care. A lot of people that want everyone else to make the decision. I remember sitting across the table from someone who was many years my senior. And I remember it was almost like I was sitting in front of a 12, 13-year-old kid who was absolutely terrified. And that person looked me square in the eyes with tears rolling down the face and they said, tell me what to do. Tell me the decision that I need to make. I looked at him and said, I can't tell you the decision that you need to make. You need to make the decision for yourself. Today, you've got to make a decision for yourself. You've got to choose. You may say, well, oh, I don't know. Listen, I'm telling you right now, you better start making the choice because if you don't make the choice, one day it's going to be made for you. Did you catch that? It's going to be made for you. And by the time it's made for you, it's going to be too late, the Bible says. The reason we stand up and preach and sing and open the doors of this church every week is because we want people to make the choice right now before it's too late. They would have rather been politically correct. They didn't want to offend anyone. They wanted to please everyone. The Bible says that sin is a lot like that, that we can enjoy the passing pleasures. There's passing pleasures that can be found in those things. But let me tell you something, they're not lasting, they're not enduring. And that's what we've got to realise is when we remain silent and don't make a choice and don't do anything, what we're basically doing is sacrificing the future of our families. It's not too late to stand. I said it's not too late again to stand for the family units. Even if you feel like you're standing alone, you're never alone with God. There's a faltering today. That word 
means double-mindedness. Another word for faltering literally means to be placed in a crippled or disabled state. There's a disablement that's taken place today. The people are crippled. They're limping. They're wheeling through life instead of running and embracing and living the life that God says I've come to give, a life of abundance. It's time to fight. It's time to fight for what's important for us. You can meet a lot of nice people. Miss Nancy is one of the nicest people that you will ever meet, but don't touch her kids. Do I hear an amen, Miss Nancy? I'm telling you, I've taken a lot of stuff and a lot of people have said some things and I can handle that, but don't talk about my kids. Is anyone else a parent like that? Any other parents like that? I can take a whole lot, but when you start messing with my kids, come on, Christianity goes to the side for five minutes and I just lose my religion. That song was sung of us. That's me in the corner, losing my religion. Come on, we're losing it. We'll repent after we've... But what are you saying is, we've got to realise that these, our children, our future, our homes, come on, it's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for. Devil, you're not going to have my kids. Devil, you're not going to have my family. Devil, you're not going to steal their future. Devil, you're not going to take it. Why? Because I'm going to be on my face crying out for my kids daily when they're gone at youth camp. I'm going to be fasting. I'm going to be praying. When they're laying in their beds at night, I'm going to be crying out to God for them. Give us some parents once again that our kids will wake up in the middle of the night and see our parents weeping and crying and praying over us as we lay in our beds. Parents, when's the last time you anointed your children's beds and you prayed over them? When's the last time you really cried out for God? We think we know what's going on in their lives, but yet we don't have any time to give to them. When there is more divorce and separation around us than ever before, we better wake up and realise this is not just a fad. This is not just a trend that we're going through. This is real. It's on the rise and it's going to continue to rise unless there's a block. You know what the block is? The church. People of God that would say enough is enough. Enough is enough. If you don't stand for something... What did God say to Ezekiel in chapter 22 and verse 30? He says, For I sought for a man amongst them who would make a wall and stand in the gap to bridge the breach before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy. But God says, I found no one. God wasn't looking for a mass crowd. He's looking for an individual. He's looking for an individual that was stand. But you know what? As you make a stand, all of a sudden you'll begin to realise Jim Hart has made a stand. Arnold and D. Howard have made a stand. Rich and Sherry have made a stand. Bishop and Roxanne have made a stand. Jimmy and Kayla have made a stand. Come on, Whitney and Raymond have made a stand. Come on, Patricia and Fred. You'll begin to realise that as you make the stand, you don't stand alone. But God's not calling a crowd. He's calling the individual. He's calling you out today. Who's going to stand behalf, on behalf of your families, your future, the future generations? 
It's important to stand for godly morals. You heard me say this, but at the age of 21, I left the house and got married. I still had a curfew at 21. Eleven PM on weekdays, midnight on weekends. And if we were later, we could get by with it sometimes, but we better make sure and ask permission and not tell them that we're going to be late. Come on, kids, you better start listening to this. This is good advice right here. You don't tell your parents you're going to be late, you ask them permission. And one thing I learned is this you don't tell your mum you're going to be late at five to eleven if your curfew's at eleven. When you're 30 minutes away. Oh, by the way, mum. I had a curfew. I couldn't leave the house without having the PK speech. You know what the PK speech is? Remember you're the pastor's son. Whatever you do, they're going to think that we do. And if they see you doing it, they're going to think it's alright to do it. Man, I hated that speech. And it got to the fact where I would try and run out of the house and dad would go, Philip, I know dad. That was the speech in the end. That was the understanding. As a child, I hated that. But you know what? It kept me. Hello? It kept me. I wasn't perfect, but I was a whole lot more perfect than a lot of kids of that day. Did I mess up? Yes. Do I still mess up? Yeah. But you know what? There was morals that were taught to me. There was morals that were taught and the fact of, listen... You don't sleep with someone before you get married. That's done under the boundaries and in the boundaries only of marriage. We look around today and say, well, that's old-fashioned. Well, let me tell you something. If we went back to the fashioned way, the way of God, there wouldn't be sexually transmitted diseases, there would not be abortion epidemics, there would not be problems, there would not be all this anarchy that's going on today. Because that's what happens when we do things not God's way. Probably a great statistic, I'd love to know it, but I guarantee 60 to 80% of relationships would probably never end in marriage if sex was not involved. It brings it to a new height, a new place, where all of a sudden we can't live with each other. It's my soulmate. And we take it to a place that God never intended it to be until we say, I do, and made a vow and a covenant before Almighty God. I know what it is to be taught the morals. I know what it is that there was no alcohol that my parents have ever seen drink and my parents have stood up for that. There's morals, there's morals, there's morals. People today say it's okay, alcohol, as long as it's in moderation. You can't tell a kid to drink in moderation. It's one of the biggest debates maybe in the church today, alcohol. I have never seen a family that was put back together with alcohol. But I've seen many, many families that have been torn apart. Dale Goodridge is here sitting beside his wife today because he woke up and realised alcohol was destroying their marriage and destroying his family. How long has it been now, Dale? Four years? Three years? Three years. And look at them now, leaders in the church, and see what God is doing in their lives. Oh, it doesn't affect our families. Listen to me. You're destroying your future. You're destroying your children. Because every generation tends to come in under the one before. My mum and dad never went to the movies. 
My mum and dad never let us go to professional soccer matches or games. There was all these standards. There was all these things. We weren't allowed to watch the TV on Sundays. We weren't allowed to do all these. There were standards and morals that they had. And unfortunately, you know what? Mine are not quite as high as theirs were. And that's the tendency, isn't it? That they come under. They say what walks in the father runs in the children. So therefore, if that's the case, if our next generations are coming in lower than ours, you know what we need to do? Lift our standards a little bit higher. Don't say, well, that's how it's going to be. Lift your standards higher. So when they come under, they're still standing on the Word of God. If we don't stand, those things, compromise, deception, immorality, will become a part of our children and our children's children's lives. A little boy once cursed out Brittany. Screamed in her face, was just cursing her out when I went into the back room. Took the little boy to his dad at the front. I'm telling you, I wanted to do more than that. Took him to the front, told his dad. Well, I didn't tell him what he was saying, but I just said he was using bad words. The dad was absolutely livid. I saw this guy shake in rage little boy about three years of age. And he said, where did you hear those words? And that little boy looked in his dad's face and he said, I heard them from you. He put his boy in the back bedroom and he came and he was weeping and he was crying. And can I tell you this, and this is no exaggeration, a grown man fell at my feet in repentance and wept. Not at my feet as in me as God, but he fell and crumbled to the floor and said, would you pray for me? He said, I've got to get my life right. I'm destroying my children. Where are they getting it from? Oh, it's the TV's fault. It's all this. Yes, there is that to blame. But as for me and my hands, well, that's life. That's the direction things are heading. Oh, really? It says who? Show me that. Show me where that's written down. That's the way things are going to be. You may say, well, in the Bible, it's kind of rough like that. Yes, it is for the unsaved. But there's still morals that God expects us to uphold in the last days. His words. Believe me, I'm not preaching down to you today. I'm in this too. I know what it is to witness attack against my family. I know what it was to go through a divorce and a separation. I know what it is to see all these things and the attack of the enemy upon my life. And my desire has always been, as the pastor, I think one of the greatest gifts that I can give this church and the people of this church is the model of a healthy, well family. And for years I didn't have that and it broke my heart. But you know what? As I remained faithful to God and as I remained and lived my life and stood for something, God has given me a wife now beyond my wildest dreams and a family that I think is absolutely incredible. God has restored. What are you saying, Pastor Philip? We've just got to make a stand. No matter the attack, no matter the onslaught, stand up! Our failures and our mistakes don't change the truth. His Word is still our example. And when it comes to our children, come on, don't blame them. Train them. We've got to input them the right things. We've got to export the wrong things. It's easier to program, they tell us, than to reprogram. Teach your children the importance of church. Teach your children relationship with God that's mirrored through your life. Lead your children. The definition of leading is this. You cannot take someone to a place that you yourself have not either been or you're not prepared to go. When you're leading your children, you're not pushing them, you are pulling them. 
because you're ahead of them and you're showing them the way. Allow your, we allow our lives, listen to this, to be ran rugged and inconvenienced over sports and extracurriculum activities. But then we go on strike for church. Church is not a time to throw parties, go to movies and plan events. You need to get your priorities right because if you don't, you know what's going to happen. You're going to be crying in my office and wondering why your kids are living every what way apart from the Lord. Don't come and cry tomorrow about something that's within your power to change today. I've got to say this and then I'm getting ready to close. Don't punish your kids with church. Don't punish your kids. I've had a lot of parents say, well, that's the only thing that means something for them. Well, don't take away that which means something from them. Well, they couldn't go to youth camp because they were punished. My God, do you realise what you're doing? That could have been the encounter like Philip. What had happened if my mum, and she had every reason not to let me go to youth camp. What would have happened if she would have said, you can't go this year? I wonder if I'd have been standing here today. Who knows? Miss Diesel told her kids when they were young, you ain't got no wants. Come on, when the kids say, I want this, she says, you ain't got no wants. I'll want for them. You ask her, she'll say, I want it for them. One last scripture and then I'm closing this morning. Matthew 27, verse 24 and 25. Jesus is standing before Pilate. Pilate wants to release him. The cry of the congregation or the cry of the crowd is crucify him, crucify him. Listen to the words of Matthew 27, verse 24 and 25. When Pilate saw he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult or an uprising or an uproar was taking place, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude. And he said these words, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. He said, you take care, you do it, I'm not going to do it. And look what the people said in verse 25. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and upon our children. His blood be upon us and upon our children. That day, they did not realize what they were really saying. That day they did not realize the hardship and grief that they were not only bringing upon themselves but upon their children and their children's children. Listen to what Dake writes. This is what Dake writes in his Bible. He says these words. The Jews quickly assumed full responsibility for the crucifixion and death of Christ. They said, we accept the punishment due for such a crime. Let it be upon us and upon our children. Let me interject this. If you want to screw up your life, that's one thing. But don't screw up your kids. Don't screw up your kids. Listen to what the notes go on to say. They, the people who cried out, were visited with the same kind of punishment and worse. 
For the Romans crucified them in such numbers that there were no no more crosses or places for them to be crucified. Historically, it says as many as 500 of them a day were scourged and crucified. And as a result, their children for ages have gone through untold sufferings in all lands. Hello. Hear me today. The decision and the choices we make will affect our children even down to multiple generations. Pronounce blessing upon your family, not a curse. Choose to build his house and in doing so, he'll build your backyard. It's a war. But it's one that we can be on the victorious side. Don't bow, stand. Our families must not be taken. What's the name of our church? Heartsease Family Life Church. Our desire is to be a church of life for the whole family. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heartsease Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.